If you want the privilege of doing work in rural places, you need to live there and you need to you need to stick it out. Hello and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, which is brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be spending some time with Maria Sykes. Maria earned her architecture degree from Auburn University at possibly the worst time. It was 2008, the recession was in full swing, and there were no jobs to be had, so she decided to join a former classmate who was volunteering with AmeriCorps in the small town of Green River, Utah. The plan was to spend a summer in Green River before buckling down to launch her architecture career. That summer turned into her own year-long commitment to AmeriCorps, which then turned into a second year, with Maria always thinking she'd leave when the economy turned around. What she hadn't planned on, though, was falling deeply in love with a place and its people. To wit, 13 years later, she remains not only an enthusiastic Green River resident, but also an invaluable community leader. In 2009, she co-founded Epicenter, a community service nonprofit that over the years has served Green River in a number of ways, from offering low-cost home repair services to elderly, disabled, and low-income homeowners, to rehabbing abandoned community parks. Today, she remains Epicenter's executive director. Maria's own artistic imagination drives much of Epicenter's work, but she has established a pipeline that guarantees a steady influx of fresh creative visions. Through its Frontier Fellowship program, Epicenter has welcomed scores of artists from around the country and as far away as the UK to reside in Green River, develop their own work, and engage with a community in creative, respectful, and galvanizing ways. This year, the team at Epicenter will proudly mark the culmination of their deep investment in the community when they break ground on Canal Commons, their first multi-unit affordable housing development, planned in close partnership with Green River stakeholders. One way in which I was immediately able to see where Epicenter's priorities lie is, well, you might expect their web address to be epicenterut.org or epicenterutah.org, you know, something like that with the company's name in the uh, web address. But nope, that's not it. Epicenter's web address? It is www.ruralandproud.org. Maria spoke to me from Epicenter's headquarters on Broadway in Green River. The town was frying in a heat wave, so she had retreated to the coolest place, the basement, where luckily for both of us, the internet was still strong. Given that we were going to talk a lot about Green River, I asked her to start off the interview by describing the community to us. Yeah, so Green River, um, it's about a thousand people and it does kind of ebb and flow depending on the, the season because it is a a community that is in service to to travelers for the most part. And it's always been that. This is the place that you cross the river because to the north, there's canyons. To the south, there's even bigger canyons, the Grand Canyon. Um, so this is one of those places where if you want to get across the country, you're you're coming through this area. And so this community formed around that. And now that's more like the interstate and the train and things like that coming through here. So it's 
Green River is kind of, I always call it reluctantly hospitable um, <laughs> because it's kind of has to be this, this waypoint. It's, it's a mostly white community, but I would like about 30% um, is like Latinx and Green River is also really isolated. So the nearest town is, you know, 50 miles away. So it's really different from like the rural South that I was used to, where there's like a town every 10 miles or something. Yeah. So the closest town is like Moab and it's like 60 miles away. So Green River feels very isolated, but in a lot of ways, there's like a lot of still a lot of strong connection to those other rural communities, but also a lot of animosity, like, Oh, we don't want to be like that town. (laughs) So but yeah, that's probably the, the gist of Green River. I mean, obviously, it's like a lot of rural communities, it's lacking in sort of some traditional resources, but it also has a lot of incredible resources. A lot of the reasons that I stayed here, like the connection to the landscape, you know, the small town atmosphere, all of those really wonderful things. It's a really different place to live. The reason that I really, you know, stayed as long as I have is because of the the community that exists here. The people are incredibly interesting not everyone is like wonderful and kind and perfect like you see in a lot of like rural movies about everyone's friendly it's you know it's a complicated place and i and i think i like a challenge in a lot of ways so that's part of it but there are a lot of people who do want to see some change here in green river or they want to see the wonderful things about the community like lifted up and so that's the sort of work that really, you know, gets me excited and makes me want to put in those, put down those roots. And so, yeah, after a couple of years of, oh, I, th- yeah, I think I'll say I'll do another year of AmeriCorps, that sort of thing. I eventually was like, okay, let's do this. I'm going to buy a little house. And at the time it was incredibly affordable and available, which is not the case in, in Green River anymore. And yeah, I, co- I committed to it, which was big for me. And this is, and this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. So I, I grew up moving around quite a bit when I was a kid. So it's kind of strange to have been somewhere for 13 years now. What is it about you specifically as an artist that makes you the perfect person to do this work? What qualities do you think from your training as an artist, as an architect, as a designer, are particularly useful to you in this work? Well, um, I think probably most of it is that like, being taught to to problem solve and kind of like see the challenges, see the assets and create some sort of a solution. And usually with, with a team of people and, you know, adding to or editing the built environment isn't always the solution. Um, but we found it in Green River, you know, sometimes that is. Wait, uh, can you say more about that? I'm not sure I understand. I think often like architects <laughs> or artists maybe come into a situation and they're like, oh, we just need to build a community center or, you know, that's sort of this, oh, we need to clean things up and make it look better uh, or create a space for X, Y, Z. And I think that there's so much work that you have to do before you get to that point. Like, for example, the affordable housing development that we're doing now, if if someone had said, hey, do this affordable housing uh, development, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, okay. And I'm not really sure if I would have been able to make the right design decisions. Now that I've known the community for as long as I have, the decisions that we've made about that kind of micro neighborhood that we're designing, it's completely different than how I would have done it, you know, when I'd first gotten to Green River. How so? Explain what what do you think you would have created 10 years ago as opposed to what you're creating now? I 
think, you know, when you get right out of architecture school, you, there's sort of this, typically there's this sort of like modern contemporary aesthetic <laughs> that is, you know, you need to be designing and it has to be something that can go and dwell magazine or it needs to be, you need to be like maximizing the, the site. So instead of like single family units, I probably would have proposed some sort of, you know, apartments or something to like, we need 20 units, let's get them all on this site. And now it's kind of like, I understand Green River where somebody doesn't necessarily want to live in like a really contemporary looking home. Like they want it to fit into the environment that's already here, which is pretty traditional looking homes. And so, you know, instead we'll design something that looks traditional, but we'll be smart about the materials or just like decisions that we're making about like how people can age in place or whatever it might be. And then also the choice to do single family instead of say apartments. We've just kind of found that people just like need a little bit of elbow room here. Um, The idea of like living on top of each other is incredibly unappealing. Right. That is not, that is not a rural (laughs) experience. But that's, I mean, that, that was the, one of the affordable housing solutions that was here in Green River were these apartments that were built and, out of, you know, desperation, people live in them and they're okay with them, but they're, you know, they're not accessible. You're, you don't have the sort of space if you wanted to have like a small garden or you want to have some friends over, it's really tight. Um, And so when, as we're designing this affordable housing development, which is called Canal Commons, we've been learning all this stuff over the past, you know, 10 years. And, And a lot of that learning has happened through bringing artists into the community and creating publications, getting to know people and like all of this sort of ongoing research that maybe we didn't even realize was design research at the time. Can you talk more about that, about how you brought in artists to do research? Yeah. So, I mean, originally we we started bringing in artists because we had friends of friends who were like, oh, the work you're doing is really cool. How can we help? Can I come there for a few weeks and, you know, teach at the summer camp or participate in, you know, whatever's going on events? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. We can't pay you. We're barely paying ourselves. But yeah, come on. And we can go camping and go to the Grand Canyon, whatever. And so eventually that became more of a formalized program. We're like, okay, we're going to let's people obviously want to come here. And designers and artists are a huge asset to this community, even if they're not living here full time like we are. So we can bring them in to do specific projects. And so for the past like 11 years, we've we've had the the Frontier Fellowship Program. And so we have a pretty rigorous application process and interview and all that to kind of make sure that we have the right person that kind of is coming here for the right reasons and has a you know sensitivity to rural places and kind of understanding of the sort of people that live here aren't, you know, it's very different than an urban environment. And so we brought those artists in to, to yeah, do, do publications to work with the community to create installations and exhibits about the community. Go they go directly into the classroom and help write poetry. It, you know, it kind of depends on what their their practice is. But we've had over 70 artists in residence now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so do you find that the community is much more receptive to artists now than when you first started? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it took us a long, a long time to sort of build up that trust. In some cases, you know, like the school here was always interested. And once we sort of had that initial trust, they were always interested in, 
oh, you want a professional artist to come into our classroom? Like, absolutely. And once we had a few that were really successful, then there was more of a request of like, oh, when are we going to do another thing, you know, with an artist, with the kids? And so, yeah, it was, it's always been really, really important to our, our practice. And like I said, we, we didn't necessarily bring those artists in to do research. And we didn't really think of it that way of like, we're going to use these artists to understand the community. Um, but as we started having these artists, we started learning more and more. And so I started being like, we we have to keep having these visiting artists come in and doing these successful projects kind of on our behalf or with, with Epicenter, because we learn so much while they're here. There's, you know, there's usually a fine, the final product of an installation or something and and those have value but i always find that the the process leading up to that final product is what's really the most helpful for for me as a practitioner i wonder if you can talk about actually an instance of what you learned from a an artist driven process that you couldn't have learned without that artist in the community uh maybe the this is green river project I learned. So that was a project where we brought in a curator from the Design Museum of London, Pete Collard, and his partner, Alice Masters. She's a filmmaker. We brought them in and I was really worried because they were Europeans, you know, coming to Little Green River. And I was like, people are going to be like, this is so pretentious. What are you, what are we doing? (laughs) But, (laughs) but uh, Pete and Alice are so delightful that everybody just latched onto them immediately and just wanted to like start telling their stories. And so I think what I learned about the community is, oh, they are way more open to outsiders than I had previously thought. I think because I had had some resistance initially in the community. Oh, you're coming here to like create change and we don't want change. And then there are people in the community who are like, no, we definitely do want change and you should stay. Um, and I think it just it's when we go through these projects, we realize that the community is much more complex than we maybe initially thought. So yeah, in that project, I think learning that the outsiders are more welcome. But then as, as, we, as we went through the process of, um, we were asking people in the community to give a personal item to tell some sort of history from their family or of the community. And so, you know, there are things like different hunting equipment or a basketball or a pair of baby's shoes or whatever it might be. And so I, w- I was able to learn a ton of recent history about the community and kind of what the community was proud of. Hmm. And so that was- And this was really, also filmed? Oh, yeah. So it also, yeah, it also, they made- um a film that focused on, I think it was like five or six of the people that participated. We had over 30 people participate in the exhibition, but the the documentary, This is Green River, focused on a, a few specific people, which was really lovely. And it was when we had that opening and, and screening that film, it was like the most successful thing we've ever done <laughs> in terms of people showing up and being really excited and proud of what had been created and feeling like they were a part of it as well. Now, as you know, and this is true certainly in urban settings, the arrival of a lot of artists in a neighborhood can herald big change, namely gentrification. Uh, So how have you resisted being gentrifiers yourselves? I, when I first came to Green River, I didn't understand gentrification because I had come from a place of privilege and I I didn't understand. I, I I kind of sort of understood it. I knew something was wasn't quite right about 
people coming in and like cleaning up a neighborhood and pushing people out because I had seen that in the South for sure. And I knew that I didn't like it. I didn't know what it was yet. And so here and there's obviously rural gentrification can happen. You know, we've seen it in Marfa. There's all kinds of communities where it has happened and people have been pushed out or pushed to an adjacent community. But, you know, I think if we had come in with tremendous resources, aka a ton of money, then we could have done something like that and it could have been really bad, I think. So in a lot of ways, like coming in as kind of servants of the community, working as volunteers, it was it put the reins on us in terms of like you're limited in what you can do. And the more we started to learn about this work, we realized, oh, we don't want that sort of massive change. And once we started to learn more and more about gentrification and the sort of obviously impact that the outside, an outsider can have on a community, we started being even more careful about what we were doing and, and understanding our intentions as well. But I think there are certain things that we know need to happen. Like we know that there are people <laughs> that are living in trailer parks here who want to own a home. And so that's that's a place where we can work with the people who live here. And so I think that's like a huge focus for us. It's never about attracting outsiders. It's not about, you know, bringing artists to come live in the community. That's never been our intention. It's about like how do we make our neighbors' lives better and our our own lives better because we we live here now. Um so let's build a park. Let's let's figure out how to build some housing that is specifically for the people who live here. So, yeah, it's been a learning curve. <laughs> Obviously, cost of living would be one reason why an artist might want to relocate to someplace that's rural. But what are other reasons you think artists really ought to consider making a small rural community their artistic home? Yeah, I think especially right now, a lot of people are dealing with like decision fatigue or like there's just like so many choices. And when you live in a rural place, a lot of things get simplified like there's one grocery store, <laughs> you know, there's, there's one internet company, like the, a lot of decisions are just made for you. And when, uh, when that goes away, it feels like you have more time and energy to like, be creative or to make other decisions for yourself. I think that's one thing that's really a- appealing about living in a rural place for me. It's sort of this kind of easy, slow life, but also at the same time, there's still a lot to do there. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly busy. Like I'm going to go to the little league game or I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, there's always something going on, which also, if you had told me 15 years ago that I would be excited to go to a little league game, I would have <laughs> laughed at you, but it's really fun. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, just like community things. I, and I think another reason I love being a practitioner in a rural place is the sort of transparency that exists the immediate feedback in a lot of cases, like when you screw up, you know it. And when you, when you do something right, um, when it, when, cause you may think something is a success, but the community may not. And there are certain cases where, you know, I'm thinking of the, we just had the park opening. We've been working on the park since we've been unable to build our houses because of supply chain issues. We've been focusing on Pearl Baker park that we've been building. And we just did a, a soft opening for the community. And there was just this, like tremendous amount of positivity at that opening. And it was like, Oh, finally. Okay, good. We, we thought it was good, but we weren't sure if you guys would like it, even though like the community has been involved the entire time, like with the cleanups and the design and everything, you just never know when you sort of present the final product or, okay, like here we are at a point, how do you feel about it? So that was, 
really great. And that I was hearing people say things that I had been thinking and that felt really lovely. And then I also think of the the welcome sign that we have that our, the artist Lisa Ward created with us. And it's this, you know, beautiful neon welcome sign on the edge of town. And there have been specific people who have come to me and said, you know, I wasn't sure about Epicenter and what you guys were doing, but when you made that welcome sign, I knew huh. that I knew that you like got what was great about Green River. And I was like, fascinating. <laughs> so on, on this podcast, I like to talk about how artists are reinventing outmoded systems. So I have a two-part question for you. One is what system or systems do you think you yourself with Epicenter are reinventing? And is there an existing system, whether in government funding, whatever, that could be completely reimagined to make your work easier? Ooh, that's a hard one. I'm trying to think of what system I would want to focus on. Maybe I don't know if this is a system necessarily, but artists working with arts organizations for the sake of art, <laughs> which that's kind of complicated to say, but I think that system might be broken. And instead, I think the arts should be integrated. And in, and this isn't like a, a totally novel idea, obviously, but I think just saying it out loud that artists should be placed within civic and community organizations for the sake of, you know, change or the community. Because I think a lot of times, again, it's that focus on the sort of final product of, yeah, is it going to be a park? Is it going to be a publication? Is it going to be a mural? But instead focusing on like the process that happens before that and kind of making sure that you're creating like local leaders or just really thinking about the process as maybe that is the actual art um, rather than that sort of final product. I think another system that might be broken is there are a lot of architects specifically that are working or trying to work in rural places, but they don't live there. And so there's this idea of like, because, you know, a normal architect doesn't live in a town of a thousand people. They live in a city because that's where they, you know, find their clients and it makes a ton of sense. But then I think they get jaded in that sort of work and they're like, well, let me, you know, help this rural community. And so they come in and I think when I, th- I think of myself, like when I first came to Green River, you know, my solution was built environment. What can we build that will like help this community? And so I think a lot of artists and architects are coming in with that, that mindset. And I think that if you want to do that work, if you want the privilege of doing work in rural places, you need to live there and you need to, you need to stick it out. And which means that anybody who's funding that kind of work should build in, it sounds like a several months, at least several months residency. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I don't, and I don't even, I don't even know that that is enough. I, like I said, the, the things that I've learned over the years and, and maybe there is a way to partner you know, architects and artists with the local community, the people like like Epicenter, like we bring our, our visiting artists and, you know, there's a big orientation onboarding process of like, hey, you're a guest in this community. You know, we brought you here for, the, for these reasons and it's really transparent with them. And I, I think that system, I think that works for us. I don't know if it would work for just anywhere, but the idea of an artist or an architect just kind of coming in and it, it just feels it feels predatory in a lot of ways when there's not this sort of liaison or I just, I just question their intentions, even when they come in with, we just want to help and we don't want to get anything out of this. I still question it. Um, So I I think that's a a system that is, 
that is broken. And, and that also kind of brings up this idea that like architects need to get involved and artists need to get involved in the project earlier, if that makes sense. So like a lot of us come in once someone has said, okay, this is what the project's going to be. We've raised the money. Now we need an artist. But I think being a part of where the money comes from, what the project is, is really, really critical. And I think artists and designers typically have the sort of sensitivity to kind of best understand what that should be. But for now, it's like the people who have the money make those decisions. Right. So you're saying the the artist and architect is hired after the money's been raised and a number of decisions have already been made. Yeah. And so there are things that are out of their control. And if they had been involved in the initial process, then maybe it would have gone a totally different way. Maybe you would have created a program or who knows, you know, we, we don't know until artists are involved at that sort of early process. But again, it's like who, whoever has the money or the resources to create the project are the ones who, who decides it's, they decided structure. Finally, I wonder if you can share, uh, talk about an upcoming project, whether in the short term or long term that you're particularly excited about. I am most excited about Canal Commons. Um, That is like all of our efforts right now are focused on this affordable housing development because, you know, for the past 13 years, we've been doing home repair projects or we'll build like a prototype house, uh, like the Frontier House, and we'll, we'll get something kind of small not small, like building a whole house is a huge thing, but it feels like the main reason that the original reason we came to Green River was to build a bunch of houses. (laughs) Like that was it. And so I think we've finally gotten to that point. Unfortunately, supply chain issues have made it to where we're having to reconfigure things, but it's just so many things have come together. It's like all of the research, all of the design, we were able to get the, the city of Green River to donate the land, which was if you had told me that the city would donate four acres to us 10 years ago, I would have laughed in your face. Um, it's like, no way, no way any, is anyone ever going to just give you land for free, especially in the West. It's just not going to happen. But like building that trust and also that sort of recognition of we, we've got to do something, we've got to build houses. So all these things have come together, you know, like the landscape design, building the parks. And it's, it just feels like such a culminating project in a lot of ways that we're just so excited like it's it's right around the corner we're gonna we're gonna break ground we're gonna get those houses built and it's gonna be awesome (laughs) if you'd like to read a longer version of this interview and see some photos of epicenter's work just head to uncsa.edu slash art restart maria had some wonderful things to say about how she and epicenter prevent the burnout that is so common in nonprofit and service oriented organizations And if you're so inclined, please tell a friend about this podcast, leave us a rating or a review, and importantly, follow the work of the artists we profile. Most have wonderful social media presences. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you so much for listening.